Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. We're going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes. And today we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Again, if you're new with us or new to your Bible, if you open your Bible to the middle and then hang a right from there, you'll run into Ecclesiastes. It'll go Psalms, then Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. We'll be in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I have a great view from my lens up here. You guys can't see, but all of my girls are sick tonight. That's the entire family. And so they are, uh, I will likely not FaceTime any of you for this opportunity, but I did FaceTime my family so they could be here because my oldest was sad. She was not able to make it. So they're watching from the front row this evening. So if my phone gets unmuted, you guys will know what's going on. So Ecclesiastes chapter three. I want us to look at this tonight, our true comfort. We need one true comfort, so we're going to look at our true comfort and what that one true comfort is. So the main point is our true comfort. In life, we have seasons, and it's clear to everyone that's in here this evening that we're in the season of winter. No Oregonian is blind to that, especially coming in here. I was even surprised to see this many people here this evening. So, But the reality is, is though we're all in the season of winter, we're all in a different season of life, and everyone in this room is in a different stage and in a different season of life. And so this chapter is specific to that, and, and, and it's specifically talking about the seasons of life, and today we're going to look at the seasons of life and what they tell us about uh, our love for comfort. And so we're going to look at seasons, and we're going to look at seasons of, 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 of comfortableness, and we're going to look at seasons that make us really uncomfortable, but we're going to shape, and we're going to look at how life is shaped with these seasons, and seasons of comfort and seasons of discomfort. So... Let's pray and we'll dive in. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for your word. I pray that you would speak to us this evening. I pray you would open your word to our hearts, to our minds, and we pray through your spirit you would speak. We pray you would teach us about comfort. You, we, we pray you would teach us that you are one true comfort. Father, where our theology says something different than our actions line up with, we pray you would reshape us in these areas. We pray your word would cut us, but we also pray that your word to the power of the gospel would heal us. We pray that we, our hearts and our minds would be open to receive what you have for us. We thank you that you've given us a book like Ecclesiastes, Father, that is real, that is raw, that is uncut, but that speaks to the seasons of life that we will go to here on this earth. Thank you for being real with us. Thank you for giving us a gospel of good news. Let it be proclaimed this evening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If my mic continues to pop, we're trying to work that out, guys. I apologize if that makes you guys go crazy or almost deaf, then, uh, then we will try to swap out my mic or I will use Caleb's uh, worship mic. But we're trying to work that out, new place and all that stuff. So let's dive in. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, 
A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. Time to keep and a time to cast away. Time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. As I just said a couple minutes ago, we're all collectively in this Oregon season of winter, but all of us, everyone in this room is in some season of life, and likely you are in one of these seasons, if not a season that somewhat reflects one of these seasons that's laid out by the author of Ecclesiastes. The reason we're going through this series, and the reason why we've titled it more specifically, The Gospel Gives Meaning, is because we believe that the gospel gives meaning to life and all of life. And we believe that the book of Ecclesiastes is just a very raw and uncut book, which is why the author's name might be hidden, but we believe that it's a book that speaks to the realities of life, the realities that you and I face every day, the seasons that we go through in life. And I believe that as Westerners, that we love and we treasure and we value comfort. And I would say in this list, what you can see is there's big contrast. There's polar opposites. There's seasons of great comfort and there's also seasons of great discomfort. This is also a list of expectations, and a lot of it's geared towards relational expectations. The reality is, is that a lot of us go through these things in relationship. And what do I mean by that? Is the same people that we laugh and dance with one day, or will be the same people that we mourn and grieve the next week? That's how life works. Which is why we need to look for something greater and a greater comfort than the seasons of life that we go in and out of constantly. About a about a month ago, I was playing paintball with a group of guys. And we were playing this game called Mr. President. And what it is is that you have four guys on each team, but only three guys have guns, and the one guy who doesn't have a gun is a president. So what it's meant to capture is that there's a Secret Service team that's escorting the president to his base. And so the idea is that if you kill the president, the game is over, but if you get your president to the base, then you win the game, right? So. I won't mention names because I think it's immature and I don't want to shame Jesse Williams, Justin Smith, or Mark McKay from any of these details. But what happened was I was the president and my team got annihilated in about a minute. Which means I'm left on the field with no gun and all of them had their guns. An important story, or an important part of the story that I do choose to leave out is that I came up with this brilliant game plan that we, we should just bum rush. So I was, I, we should just bum rush them. And so my whole team got shot in that process. So, so I'm out there and I'm on the field by myself and I'll admit, I was like, maybe I should just say game over because I'm uncomfortable. And then I had this hero of a moment where I sat behind the tree and I was like, maybe everyone will just think the game's over or maybe I'll just ride this out for a little bit. But I was like, I'm so incredibly uncomfortable right now. I would just like to have something in my hand. And then I really did. In this moment, I had like these heroic thoughts. I was like, what if I could just get a hold of like their president who also doesn't have a gun? I could like wrestle him down, kill him without a gun, and we're the hero. These are my thoughts. These are daily what my thoughts look like. Uh, and then I was like, that's probably not going to work. And so I was like, I'm not just going to see her the whole time. I'm going to be a hero. So it's like, what if I just run and I get to the base? I'm gonna be uncomfortable, but I'm gonna run as hard as I can. I'm gonna to get to the base and then our team wins. So I did, and it was awesome. I made it like 20 feet and I just got lit up. <laughs> why do I share the story? Here's why. Because in my 
little moment there of where we were having fun, I chose this moment where I said, this is going to be uncomfortable, it might not work out well for me, and it didn't. And I say that to say this, is that sometimes when we're uncomfortable, we will make a decision. When we are uncomfortable, we will make a decision. And here's what I need you to hear this evening, because it's important, we're going to unpack the theology of this at the end. What you can't believe as a Christian is that just because you are uncomfortable and you are taking steps towards even more discomfort, and, and, and what you come against is, is people head on, or the world head on, or things head on, that you can't always believe that just because you're getting pressed up against that you're moving in the wrong direction. And our typical response is that anytime we face discomfort in our lives, that we turn and run the other way. I know this, this is my theology is that when people come into my life, when things come into my life, when I'm made uncomfortable, what I tend to do is I tend to get out. And so if we make moves that make us more uncomfortable or we're more pressed against, our response to that is typically, I must be doing something wrong. I need to go in the opposite direction. I think this clearly lays out for us. That's not a response. That should not be a response. But look at verse one. Again, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under, uh, under heaven. This should bring us good news because what, what the preacher is telling us now, which we believe is Solomon, what he's saying is, look, there's a season and it's good that you know that things are season. We have four seasons in a year. It's good that you know that whatever you're going through in life, everyone in this room right now, that it's called a season, meaning this, that seasons come and seasons go, seasons come and seasons pass. So it's meant to bring us some encouragement that the things that we go through in life tend to ebb and flow. So there's seasons of great comfort, there's seasons of discomfort, and those seasons come in and those seasons go out. Here's the other thing that we need to know, is that we don't choose our seasons. We don't choose seasons of discomfort, because no one woke up this morning and and said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pencil in some hours this week, and we're going to pencil in three hours for grieving. We're going to pencil in four hours for laughing. We're going to pencil in a few hours for crying. We're going to pencil in a few hours for dancing. Why didn't we do that and why wouldn't we do that? Because we don't pencil in stuff in our life and seasons in our life that are uncomfortable, that are really difficult, that are really hard. We just wouldn't do it. What else is going on here in these first eight verses is this. Our temptation, as I just said, is to get away from discomfort and to get away from people that make us uncomfortable. In fact, I've had just one of the toughest weeks that I've had in a long time. It's a week that's just been filled with a lot of emotion and a lot of crying. And I would say my wife and I have both been just extremely emotional and we've just had a hard week and there's just been a lot of stuff that we're uncomfortable with. And it's just been a great season of discomfort through changes, through everything else in our life, it's just been filled with a lot of tears. And I'll be honest with you guys, our church has four core values, and one of them, and the first one is gospel centrality. What we mean by that is this. I know it's a distracting church, just hang in there with me. Is that we say that we want to center our lives on the gospel, but the reality is, is that I center my life, Rick Reeves, on comfort. And I have more of a comfort-centered gospel. Or I have more of a comfort-centered life, I would say, not a comfort-centered gospel. I, I, I do have this life that tends to be more centered on comfort than it is on the gospel. 
And I know that because this week when, when stuff I'm pressed with and things that come against me, what my response was to do is to get myself out of the situation that I'm in, to get my family out of the situation I'm in, and, and, and even honestly, to get our church family out of situations that we might find ourselves in. So my, 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 my outlet and the thing that I always think through is if something makes me uncomfortable, then I need to move the direction and move things in life to make sure that I'm comfortable, that my family is uncomfortable, or that my family is uncomfortable, that our church family is comfortable. And that's a lens that I think through. I think that's oftentimes a lens that we do think through in life. Here's the, here's, here's the problem with that. We are promised here that we're going to have really great, comfortable seasons, but we're, almost, we're also promised that we're going to have seasons of, of, of a lot of discomfort. And if we build our lives on the foundation of comfort, it is a really fickle foundation. If comfort stays or chooses, if I choose to try to keep comfort at the center of my life, that's a horrible thing to place at the center of my life. Why? Because comfort is a really horrible God. How do I know that these seasons tend to teach us about comfort and about discomfort? Because as we, again, if we look at everything on the list here, we would choose the seasons of good times and not the seasons of bad times. We would choose to embrace. We would choose happiness. We would choose to dance. We would choose peace. These are the things that we would choose in life. But guess who I don't go to and who I don't run to when things get hard for me in my life and when I'm going through difficult seasons, seasons of discomfort? I never, ever, ever, ever run to a captain who's never sailed on stormy seas. I never go to a soldier who can shoot his gun at the range but can't shoot it out on the battlefield I never go to someone who's never been up to their neck in quicksand and had to figure out how to get out. I, I never go to an expert swimmer who's never been in a pool before. I actually go to people in life who know what it looks like to be uncomfortable. And you can't be someone in life that people can go to if the very thing you do is spend your entire life avoiding things that make you uncomfortable then the only thing you will be able to do is give trite platitudes whenever people come to you in a season of discomfort. I run to people that I know that have walked through uncomfortable seasons in life and they know how to navigate those waters. Those are the people that I seek out. And the reality is, as Christian, listen, please, you can't have both. You can't have a Christ-centered life and you can't have a comfort-centered life. You can't, because Christ is not comfortable. If you look at the claims that Christ makes, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Every, everything about Jesus doesn't produce a feeling of comfort. And the gospel doesn't produce feelings of comfort. In fact, I would go to a guy like Paul. And in fact, Paul in Philippians 129 promises us, and, and he says, it's been granted to you that you not only share in the blessings of Christ, but you also share in suffering. It would be hard to receive something like that from someone who's never walked through a season of discomfort. It would be hard to receive that from someone who spends their entire life avoiding things that make them uncomfortable. But Paul, we could receive it from him. Why? Because look what he says in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-three through 28. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I like it when Paul goes off like this. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings. Listen to this. And often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys and dangerous from rivers, dangerous from robbers, dangerous from my own people, dangerous from Gentiles. 
Danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And listen here, and apart from all these things, there's a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. That does not sound like a life of comfort. Peter elsewhere talks to the church, uh, to the churches, and he calls them exiles. Exile is not the language of comfort. You see, Christians weren't called to a life of radical comfort. Christians were called to a life of radical courage, and you can't have both. You can't have comfort and courage. But if Christ is at the center of your life, then you can have a courageous life. But when courage is the center of your life, you won't. Why? You will never say anything hard to anyone. Why? Because it will make you uncomfortable, and it would make them uncomfortable, which is actually a really unloving thing to do. You won't live for the kingdom. Why? Because living for the kingdom means you would have to share the gospel, which means you're never going to get out of your house. You're never going to build relationships with people that think differently than you. You're never going to do anything, but you're basically not going to share the gospel. Why? Because that would make you really uncomfortable. And you need to make sure that comfort stays at the center of your lives. We, we are a comfort-driven culture. We have comfort food. When you go look for cars, what do they sell you on? This one drives real, really, really nice. It's really, really comfortable. When, when you're looking at outdoor stuff, what do you do? You, you shop for the most comfortable boots the most comfortable backpack, the most comfortable wear, everything in our life that we do, the beds that we buy, the sales pitch that we receive, it is all driven by comfort. However, the Christian life is not called to comfort. Christian life is called to having Christ at the center. So when the preacher comes in and says all this stuff, our typical response is, what do I do with these seasons? And why do they come? And I think why is an interesting question. I think it's the wrong question of why these seasons come. I think the uh, appropriate questions that we should ask should be a how question. But let's keep moving on and see why we have these seasons. It says in verse nine, what gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in his toil. This is God's gift to man. Why? Why does God give us seasons of comfort? Seasons of discomfort. The preacher does something different here. It's almost as though he's a time traveler because he says, I've seen the work that God has given to man. It's like he's traveled ahead of time, but, but he gives us this reassurance. He goes, I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. It's as though he's able to step outside of time to see everything that's going on, to see the seasons of life, to see the seasons of discomfort and of comfort that we can't make sense of. He's able to see these things and go, why? But he's able to see them and go, just so you know, God exists outside of time, and his perspective here is that just know that God makes these things beautiful that we can't see. So here's something. If my tendency is to run from discomfort, I think a fair question is your tendency as well to run from discomfort, which means that in that, I'm running from the very thing that God uses oftentimes to shape and transform and grow my life. 
I'm running from the thing instead of embracing the thing that God allows to make me a better husband, a better father, a better pastor, and a better friend. You will starve naturally and feed other things in your life. You've heard this before, but growing pains are actually painful. Literally, for a child to grow, it is painful for them. And for us to go, that's often done through seasons of discomfort. If you are someone who lives your entire life avoiding valleys, and you are someone who spends all of your time from the mountaintops, then you are someone who will radically miss out on the sort of discomfort that drives you to your needs and leads you to a deeper and closer and more intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Discomfort does that. Every time I feel uncomfortable in my life, what I typically do, this is my natural response. I spend two days throwing tantrums and pouting, and then I go, oh yeah, this is a season. This is a season that I'm in in my life, and this is a season that God has me in. Why does he say here that he's put eternity in a man's heart in verse 11? And then say, so he cannot see what God is doing and what's been done from beginning to end. The reason why he says this, that he's put eternity into our hearts, is because of this reason. Everything on this list from the beginning actually starts with this. There's a time to be born and a time to die. That's how verse 2 starts. That's how the list starts. Everything else is going to be a season that happens in between our birth and our death here on this world. Here in this world, that's what's going to happen. And the reason why the author's telling us this, that he's put eternity into our hearts, is because he's trying to get us to see something. That inside, deep within inside of us, we know something. That we were not created for this world. As a child of God, you, your eternal home is not here on this earth. And what he's trying to say is that you have a bigger longing, a greater longing, what we should see earth as, as like a hotel visit. No one puts radical expectations on a hotel visit. No one puts all the way to the world for a hotel to live up to be something that it's not because they just know that it's a very temporary stay. And what the author is trying to show us here is that your time here on this earth, filled with seasons of comfort and discomfort, it's very, very temporary. It's a mist. Hevel, he says over and over again. That's the word for vanity. It's smoke and vapor. It comes and it goes. So what he's saying is this, is that this world's not meant to give us our greatest source of comfort, satisfaction, and gratification. We're meant to look for it and find it in something else. It would be equivalent to this. I have kids. I don't have boys, so this isn't a reality for me, but for those of you that have boys, this might be a reality for you, is that... Uh, if you have boys, you know they like to go out and they like to play in the mud and they like to get dirty. In some sense, it wouldn't make sense if they were out playing in the mud and you had a swimming pool and stuff like that. They were just out there playing in the mud and like to get dirty. But if you looked out and saw some kids and they were out playing in the mud and just had mud everywhere all over them and a smile on their face, you could ask the kid, you could say, why are you smiling playing in the mud? What, 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 what could they tell you? They could say, I know this to be true. I have parents who love me. I have a warm bath and a nice home. This mud thing, this isn't my everything. I have something greater. It's right over there. 
And for us as Christians, as exiles here for a short time, what we actually get to say is this, is that we can make the most of this life because we know that we weren't born for all that's here. And everything that's here is actually just preparing us for everything that's there. This is just a short stay. It's a holiday in. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to show us that. And then what he's trying to do is actually say, if you actually have this perspective, one theologian said, you'll know if you start to understand the book of Ecclesiastes because you'll start to have a grin on your face. And at that moment, what you'll start to see is you'll start to gain an eternal perspective. See, this life is short. And what we can actually do is enjoy the seasons that God gives us as the ebb and flow of comfort and discomfort. We have something greater. Let's look at our theology on seasons of comfort and discomfort, though. In verse 16, it says, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beast. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. What's going on here? Your tendency in life through seasons of comfort and discomfort, your, your most natural tendency is to say, what did I do wrong? And our tendency, if someone else is going through something, is to say, what did they, what did, they do wrong? God must be punishing me and God must be punishing them. It's a really bad theology which is why if you've never walked through something that's painful, if you've spent your life avoiding any sort of discomfort, you won't be able to provide much for people. This week when I was hurting and I shared what I was hurting with with our shepherding team, one of the members from the team just said, man, I'm sorry. And that ministered to me. That ministered to me. Why? Because I know that he as well has walked through seasons of discomfort in his life. Our seasons of comfort and discomfort tell Tell us big time, big time, what our theology says. And if your tendency is to look at people and go, they must have done something wrong, God has punished them, then you should read the book of Job. And, and know that by doing that, you're no better than Job's friends. What else? He says that everything should be brought or everything will be brought, brought into the courtroom of God. How do we know this? Because even in the place of wickedness, and even in the place of righteousness, there was wickedness. What's he saying? This. That while we're here in this life, going through seasons of comfort and discomfort, what we need to know is it's not up to us to judge where people are at and what people are going through. That ultimately you and I and everyone in this room will have to be in the courtroom with the ultimate judge being God one day. We will have to give an account for our actions. This should bring us comfort because God is a God of justice. We are people that long for justice. And he's saying that regardless of what you're going through, regardless of what someone else is going through, God is the judge. Everything must meet in his courtroom. And here's the deal. This is really good for us to hear because our tendency also is to go something like this. I'm in a season of comfort right now, which means that I must be doing something really good. God must really be blessing me because I'm, 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 I'm in a season of comfort. They're in a really bad season, so they must be doing something really bad. And it's just not accurate. He even says it. 
I saw that under the sun, the place of justice, there was wickedness and, and, and the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. He's saying that's it. And here's what you need to know. Wh- whether if you are a really good moral person, your moral goodness has to sit in the courtroom of God one day. Everyone has to sit in the courtroom of God one day and give account to their lives before the judge. And here's what you will either do. You will either point to all of your moral goodness or you will point to Jesus Christ. But the only safe place you will ever be able to point is to point to Jesus Christ. The gospel is not, I point to anything I do. The gospel is, I point to everything Christ has done on my behalf. But do you know what else this is meant to show us when he talks about us being nothing more than beast? Is do you know that none of us actually deserve even the worst of seasons on this list? And let me explain what I mean by that. Is you guys probably think that I mean that none of you deserve to go through this. I mean that none of us in this room actually deserve to be alive. And so even in your worst season of discomfort, you are still alive and have breath in your lungs by the sole grace of God. Because we have all walked in rebellion against our creator. And so, in fact, we are no better than the beast. We're no better than anyone else. We, we don't even deserve the worst seasons of discomfort in our lives. And those are given to us solely by the grace of God. Here's the thing. I'm not confused by my sin. I'm confused by the grace of God constantly because it doesn't make sense to me. And when I get off track, it's because I lose sight of the fact that I am sinner solely saved by the grace of God and that I don't deserve this and I don't deserve that and I don't deserve respect and be treated like this. In fact, I don't deserve anything. But God, through his grace, has chosen to pour it out. So how do we wrap up? We need a true comfort. We need the gospel. We need good news. And here's what I'll say. When we all go through seasons of life, we all look for someone who can relate to what we're going through. Do we not do that? Who can I reach out to? Who, who, who's familiar with this? Who could empathize with me? Who could meet me where I'm at in this season of discomfort? And here's the thing. God is not a God. The God of Christianity is not a God that just sees your seasons of comfort and he's disconnected from it from a far way off. The God of Christianity made himself flesh and blood and he stepped into the seasons of life. He stepped into comfort. He stepped into discomfort. And so he knows deeply what our seasons that we're going through feel like. You have to know that Jesus Christ is not a God who's separated from his creation. He's He's a God who stepped into his creation and he knows what our seasons feel like. He knows what it's like to be without food. He knows what it's like to be homeless. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to have his friends point out stuff. He knows what it's like to have his friends walk away from him. He knows what it feels like to hurt. We literally have a God that knows what it feels like to grieve the loss of people. Jesus can relate because he knows also this. Jesus knows discomfort on a level that no one in this room, myself included, no one on this earth will ever be able to know and relate to. Do you know that a lot of Christians wear a symbol around your neck? It's a symbol of the cross. At the center of Christianity sits this symbol of the cross, which is, in fact, the greatest symbol of discomfort that someone could go through. But yet for the Christian, why does it bring us our greatest comfort? The cross brings our greatest comfort because I know this, that I don't deserve God's grace. I don't deserve his love. He gave a list of 10 commandments. I couldn't keep one. 
The cross is my great comfort because I was born an enemy of God. I was born as someone who was not reconciled to God. So the cross gives me comfort, and it's our one true comfort. Why? Because the cross does what I am incapable of doing, reconciles me and restores me to relationship with God. That's, that's my comfort. That's our one true comfort. The one true comfort that every Christian has is this. It is the biggest symbol of discomfort for Jesus Christ in his life. What Jesus did on the cross was he literally bore the discomfort that I should have been bearing. On the cross, we have this visual picture, and what we get to do is we get to look at the cross and say, that's actually the level of discomfort that my sin and my rebellion against God deserves. That's what, that's what it is. But on the cross, we also have the great comfort because what we know is we, and we understand is that he took all of the discomfort that my actions should have taken. On the cross, he was being held responsible for my actions. And that gives me great comfort because in the law room of God, in the courtroom of God, I have two choices. I can either present my actions to to God or I can present his actions. And for the Christian, what we say is that we present the actions of Christ. That's what brings me comfort. The other thing that brings me comfort is an empty tomb. Jesus is the only man that's ever stepped in the ring with sin, Satan, and death and walked out a conqueror. And as a Christian, that gives me hope. Why? Because the three things that should bring me utter and complete discomfort are Satan, sin, and death. And he's saying, I took care of that. Destroyed them, put them in their place. The one thing that you should find that should bring you the most discomfort in your life, the one thing that should bring you the most terror is to be eternally separated from God. And he's like, I've brought you the greatest comfort that you can't provide for yourself. I've restored you and reconciled you to a relationship with God. That is the greatest comfort that we can have. And so what does this mean for us? That what it means for us is that as we ebb and flow through seasons of life of comfort and discomfort, it means that our levels of comfort and discomfort, our sicknesses, our illnesses, our emotions, all these stuff, they don't define who we are. You're a child of God. You are not your season of life. You need to hear that. You're a child of God. You're not your season of life. You are not comfortable or discomfortable. That is not your core identity. If you are comfortable, it only reminds you in that season that you have a greater comfort in Jesus Christ. If you are discomfortable, or if you're uncomfortable, I should say, it only tells you of your great comfort. You're held forever, eternally secure by Jesus Christ. Comfort and discomfort only has the ability to remind us of ultimately what we have in our one true great comfort, Jesus Christ. These aren't my words, this is Paul's words. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Christ provides us with the great comfort. So I'll, I'll end with this. My, my, my challenge and my exhortation to the people in this room is this is are you avoiding things in life like community? Are you avoiding things in life like people, like sharing the gospel, like all these things because they make you uncomfortable? My challenge, my encouragement, my exhortation from a pastor who loves our church is this, is that my prayer is that we would be people that embrace discomfort 
and know this, that if things that are making me uncomfortable come into my life, that I shouldn't reject them. Why? Because maybe it's God putting Christ back at the center of my life and not allowing the one thing to come to the center that has the power to destroy me, to destroy my family, or to destroy our church family. We can embrace discomfort because we need Christ at the center of our lives, not comfort. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for a difficult week, and I thank you for seasons of discomfort. I pray that as as a child of God, I would remember that's what and who I am. I can step into seasons of discomfort. I can even rejoice in seasons of, of discomfort because I have a greater hope, a greater comfort in Jesus Christ. Let that be our true comfort this morning, regardless of where people are at in here. That our life here is short. It's just a glimpse. It's a mist. It's a vapor. I pray we could enjoy it because we have a greater comfort than any season of this life. In Jesus' name, amen.